0: Welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm St. John Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. And this week we're talking about Richard Wagner's Das Rheingold, which debuted in Munich in 1869. This is the first of that group of operas known as the Ring Cycle. The Ring of the Nibelungen. Yes, exactly.
1: And it's it's our introduction to the, the world of the Ring in the same sense that as The Hobbit you know, is the prologue, to the Lord of the Rings, so is Das Rheingold, sort of the prologue to uh, the Ring Cycle. It's where we meet principal characters that we'll be seeing throughout the cycle. It's where we are introduced to their world, uh, establish you know, the, the central conflict that carries us throughout the Ring Cycle. It's where we first hear the principal leitmotifs the musical themes that Wagner uses that he'll use throughout the cycle. And here is where we first hear them in their full form so that we associate them with particular things or people or emotions and uh, are able to then draw those associations later on when Wagner sets about using them in very complex ways. Uh, In essence, he uses the orchestra as an omniscient narrator.
0: And he builds the orchestral score out of these motifs. Absolutely. And they are played in different sections of the orchestra and to show, you know, relative importance and decline and resurgence, etc.
1: Yeah, and and there will be motifs that you'll you'll hear that will sound kind of like other motifs, only perhaps in a minor key. And so the, the he draws relationships between the motifs, between the different themes that he's depicting with the motifs. It's of a complexity
0: that had never been seen before, and largely hasn't been seen since. And it's worth pointing out as well that Wagner was his own librettist.
1: Absolutely. He did everything. He was a one-man band. He was, he was an auteur, <laughs> if you will,
0: in, in opera. And he takes us in... The Ring Cycle. He takes us into the world of Norse mythology. Exactly. He drew from a lot of different sources,
1: the Prose Edda, the Poetic Edda, the Nibelungenlied, the Volsunga Saga. Um, he drew from all different sources and sort of cherry-picked what he wanted to use and crafted this story and this, this mythos from all of those different
0: sources. The Rheingold is obviously what this particular opera is about. What is the Rheingold? The Rhine gold is um,
1: it's basically a lump of gold <laughs> on the top of a rock at the bottom of the Rhine River. And it's uh, it's guarded by the Rhine maidens, which, I mean, they're basically water sprites, water nymphs, if you will, daughters of the Rhine who guard the Rhine gold, although not very well, <laughs> I'd <have to> say. <laughs> they don't do such a great job of it.
0: There are three of them. There's uh, Voglinde, Velgunde, and Flossilda. yes. And they're sort of in the long-standing
1: operatic tradition of, of um, female trios. You, you see them all over opera in, in Manon. You see them in, in Um uh, uh, And here you have a high soprano, a second soprano, and, and Flosilde is a, is a contralto. And, and they, always, they don't always sing together, but uh, for, for maximum effect, Wagner has them all you know, singing in, in thirds and, and gloriously.
0: So they're guarding the Rheingold. At the bottom of the Rhine, and it's stolen, right, by
1: Alberich, who is one of the principal characters throughout the course of the Ring cycle. Alberich is a Nibelung, uh, a race of dwarves who live beneath the earth and who mine and and forge, and craft things of metal and and uh, you know precious precious metals, and Alberich is. He's looking for love, is what he's doing, <laughs> and he's not finding any. He's he sees the Rhine maidens, and he is immediately smitten, uh, rather lustful, and uh, he sets about trying to woo them one after the other, and one after the other, they sort of lead him on and tease him, and then
0: repulse him, you know, because he's uh,
1: apparently not very attractive.
0: But he's he sees this glint from. Up on top of this rock, after, at the bottom of the Rhine. Yeah,
1: after he's been after he's been rejected three times, <laughs> <laughs> get a clue, mate. Yes, <laughs> yes, he, exactly. He sees this glint, uh, and uh, and wonders what it is. And the Rhine maidens boastfully uh, sing about the Rhine gold and and the the glorious, glorious gold that that they guard at the bottom of the Rhine. And they even I'm sorry, they're not very bright. (laughs) They they go so far as to tell him how one can get the gold and and that is to renounce love. To completely renounce love, and then you can you can grab the gold for yourself. Well, Alberich has just been (laughs) rejected, (laughs) rejected, and rejected again and again and again. And he figures, what have I got to to lose?
0: And so he does. He, he, he makes this announcement that he renounces love. Exactly. And grabs the gold. And runs off with it while the Rhine maidens are left to sit
1: there going, What happened? <laughs>
0: yes. So the Rhine gold is now in the hands of one of the Nibelung. Right. And we cut then to. Valhalla or outside Valhalla. Yeah, we're actually on the
1: surface of the earth and we can see Valhalla in the distance. In the distance. And this is the domain of the gods. Right, which Votan, the the, the king of the gods whom uh, some people might know from Norse mythology uh, as Odin. Odin. Mm-hmm. And he has built he's had this stronghold built because he basically making a play for you know, kind of world domination, frankly, it, and that's going to be his stronghold. That's his symbol of power.
0: It's where the gods will be, but it's also where all the the, the great heroes they get to spend eternity there.
1: Eventually, that's that's where it becomes. Uh-huh. Yes, he does. He assembles, but that's that's the next opera. <laughs> we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. No, no.
0: So he has he has asked the giants again. One of the other races that inhabits this this mythological world, right to build Valhalla, and he will pay them how? Yeah, he's contracted with them, actually,
1: and he's going to pay them by giving them his sister-in-law. Freya. Freya, The goddess Freya, who's the goddess of springtime and youth and and beauty. And uh, the giants go, yeah, (laughs) we'll take that deal.
0: And so they build Valhalla for him, and they complete it. And then, when it comes time for payment... Votan turns around and says, "Well, I was never going to give you Freya in the first place. Yeah. So let's see if we can't work out some other form of payment."
1: Right, and they're not very happy about that. Wotan uh, is is sort of in a quandary at this point because he's about to lose Freya, and his wife, Freya's sister, is none too pleased with him, and you know, basically telling him, "Do something, you know, do something, fix this." So he calls upon the demigod Loga, who is the god of fire. And who is a a trickster and a shifty, wily sort of character. Uh Uh, He's also the god of fire. And you can hear in his motif, it's this skittering motif in the high strings. And it sounds like flickering flames. It's Wagner. It is his uh, genius best. And Loga appears. And Loga suggests to Wotan, here's what we do. Let's offer the giants uh, gold in payment. And what we'll do is we'll go down to Nibelheim, where this this, uh, Nibelung Alberich has amassed this great treasure trove. We'll get the treasure trove from Alberich. We'll bring it back up. We'll give it to the giants. Freya will be great, and all will be well. So they propose that to the giants, and they say, all right, but we're taking Freya with us. As assurance. <laughs>
0: <laughs> In case this doesn't work In out. In case
1: this doesn't work out, exactly. So they drag her off. Fafnir and Fafner
0: are the the two giants. They're brothers.
1: Yes. And it's interesting because uh, of the two of them, Fafnir is, is the more garrulous. He's the one that you hear from most often. And Fafner is sort of... Uh, Oh, he's a, a sort of a taciturn sort. He 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 interjects here and there, but not a lot. He's sort of the a quieter type, uh, which proves to be you know still waters run deep, and uh, not
0: necessarily, not necessarily in a good way. Right, right. <laughs> and then we come to uh, scene three. There are there are th- four scenes throughout Death Rango. Right, and we're scene three. And we are in the underground caverns of the Nibelungs. Nibelheim. Nibelheim. Yes. And Wotan and Loga are on their way down to seize the gold. Alberich has taken the Rhine gold, and he has had his brother Mima, fashion it into two things. Yes. A ring. Yes. And the Tarnhelm, yes. which is his magic helmet. Right. Which invests the wearer with the ability to, uh, to become invisible or to, or to change form. Right. And the ring enables the wearer
1: to have dominion over the Nibelung hordes, and then by extension, he, he presumes the world. He's, he's going to conquer the world that way.
0: So, Wotan and Loga show up. How do they get the gold? They trick him, they, they <laughs> trick Alberich. They trick Alberich.
1: They, they've sort of pumped Mima for, for information and they've learned all they, they, about the Tarnhelm and all this sort of thing. And so when Alberich shows up, they uh, start to flatter him. And uh, so we hear you've got this Tarnhelm. So show us, <laughs> demonstrate <laughs> it. So Alberich uh, obliges by turning himself into a fearsome dragon. He puts the
0: helmet on and says, look, I can do this.
1: Yeah, (laughs) look what I can do. Right, (laughs) And they, oh, they're just, they feign, you know. uh, They're so impressed. Impressed, yes. Oh, we're so impressed. That's really great. But I'll bet you can't turn yourself into something small. And he says, oh, sure I can.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And turns himself into a toad. And of course, this, this small toad, on the ground, and Wotan steps on him. Yes. They take the helmet off him. Right. So he no longer has that power. Right. And he also. And they bind him. They bind him. And Wotan also cuts off his finger and takes the ring. Yes. So Alberich has been tricked. He no longer has the powers that he had before.
1: Right. So now he's left with nothing, he has nothing to lose. And they tell him, okay, you're free, free to go. And he says, oh, free? Yeah, truly free? I don't think so. Here is, and he says, here is Freedom's first greeting. And he then, to the tune of The Curse on the Ring, which we will hear all throughout the rest of the cycle, he lays one heck of a curse on the ring and on anyone who wears it. They will will be party to great misfortune. Absolutely. Misery beyond counting. So then at that point, the giants return with Freya, expecting their payment. And Loga and Wotan have forced Alberich to order his Nibelung hordes to haul all the gold, all the Nibelung treasure, up to the surface of the earth there. And the giants tell Wotan that they will accept in payment; and they will give up Freya if they can pile up the hoard, the treasure hoard, so that they can no longer see Freya. You know that's I'm the only top. way. You know that, mm-hmm. because otherwise they just can't bear to part with her. So they do that. They they load it all up. They pile it up as high and, and use and every single part of it. They even put the Tarnhelm on it. But. But,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but the the giants can still see part of Freya. Her eye. They can see her. The beauty. The glint of her eye. eye. The glint of her
1: eye through the gold. Wotan and, has held back though, one piece of the gold. Of course he has, because he's got, it's the ring. Right. Because uh, I mean, uh, Alberich tried to trick them that way too, because he wanted to keep the ring. Because he figured, if, as long as I got the ring, I can get more gold. I can get anything I want. Right. But they weren't falling for that. And neither are the giants. And Voltan does not want to give up the ring. And at this point, Erda, the earth goddess, the mother goddess, makes an appearance and tells him, Weiche Voltan, weiche, beware, beware this ring. Give it up. <laughs> give it up. and Give it up now. It's Do nothing not- but trouble. Yeah, nothing but trouble for you if you don't give it up. So he tosses it onto the pile. Right. And the giants accept that, but almost immediately the ring goes to work. And the giants start to bicker, Fassold squabble. and Fafner fight. Yeah, they're squabbling over the gold and who gets what. And Fafner turns on Fossolt while Fassold is has, has his back turned, and basically beats him, beats him to death. Mm. Right there on the spot to everybody's horrified, uh, before everybody's horrified gaze. And he takes the ring, and he takes the horde, and off he goes. And that's the end of Das Rheingold. Not quite. <laughs> Not quite. So then, uh, at that point, there's nothing left for Wotan and his family to do but to take they've, they've possession. they off the giants, take possession of Valhalla. Valhalla. Right. And so Donner summons the thunderclouds. Donner being one of the gods. One of the gods, yes. Thor. We would know him as Thor. Donner meaning thunder. Uh, And he summons the thunderclouds, and then Fro, the god Fro, then uh, creates the rainbow bridge from the earth up to Valhalla. And uh, as they begin to to cross the bridge, you can hear below the Rhine maidens in the Rhine bewailing and bemoaning the loss of their beloved gold. And, um, you know, Wotan basically orders Logan to just tell him, oh, just tell him to shut up, you know, knock off the wailing. (laughs) And so that sets us up then for the rest of the Ring Cycle. Yes, they go off into Valhalla, and that's the end, for now, (laughs) until next week.
0: (laughs) So this was groundbreaking work. Oh, by,
1: by all means. I mean, Wagner was not one. Verdi was somebody... You know, for instance, who was a contemporary of Wagner's, who created tremendous change. They were born in the same year. They were. Verdi created tremendous change uh, in opera from within the system. Mm -hmm. You know, he started out as sort of, you know, the successor to Donizetti and gradually worked his changes and and completely, you know, revolutionized Revolutionized. Italian opera. But from within. Wagner basically just said, I'm throwing everything out. (laughs) And here's what I th- here's the way I think it should go and he just he was the he was the revolutionary. He was the iconoclast. And he didn't call his works opera. No, he called them music dramas. Music dramas. Exactly. Because, you know, he 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 didn't think there was anything else. Well, there wasn't anything else like it. And he was very controversial. I mean, it was uh, it was sort of uh, amongst uh, French and Italian composers for a long time. There, it was the worst insult you could
0: aim at a composer to call him uh, Wagnerian. Wagnerian, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We got Wagner's Das Rheingold. That's this week's opera cheat sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn, and I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening.